This is our final um, in the series on righteous power. And so I'm going to try and just uh, sum up a little bit of stuff of where we've gone so that if you've missed out on some of this, that you'll, um, you'll have a little bit of um, an insight on where we've gone. So today we want to talk about uh, the righteous power that we have in terms of gratitude versus unthankfulness. Um, and I think uh, Cheryl talked about that, about the ability of gratitude means being thankful in every situation that you have, being thankful before God. Whether your, God eats, uh, whether your dog eats a, a cane toad or not, you're thankful. Some of us might be more thankful than others if their dogs ate a cane toad. Hey, I know if my cat ate a cane toad, I'd be very happy, but I don't have a cat, so it's okay. I don't like cats. Who likes cats here? Who loves cats here? Okay, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So we want to talk about uh, righteousness. Uh, righteousness, we've told in the first couple of ser- sermons that we've had here, was imputed to us. It was given to us. It was bestowed on us. And the li- ability to live in that righteousness is also given to us as well. So we're told that uh, we need to recognize that that righteous power is imputed and displayed in our life. It's not earned or deserved. We don't we didn't get it because we were good-looking. We didn't get it because we were living very well. We got it because we couldn't have it any other way. God gave it to us as a gift, and it's not earned and it's not deserved, and it's a positional and a progressional thing. It says in, um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses four, verse 14, it says, For by, one, by the one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. <coughs> so in this regard, it's positional immediately you ask Jesus to come into your life, immediately you ask Jesus to, to take away your sins, you're made perfect immediately. Immediately. So in a positional sense, if you were to die at that point, there's nothing on you that would stop you from getting to heaven. Your life is perfect before God. But it's also progressional in that we know that the minute, five minutes after you gave your heart to Jesus, you're probably thinking wrong things. And you'll have to start to renew your mind and you'll have to start to live a different life. And so the process of refining and the process of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, the process of sanctification or living out the change of your heart is in the process of taking place. So while it's immediate, it's also progressional. It goes through your life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you do that. The Holy Spirit is the one who is with you. He gives it to you and he says, now I'm going to be here and help you with this. You know, he's not going to leave you alone and say, well, you know, you better get to it now and try and become the best sort of person that you can be. We're actually told that the Holy Spirit comes down with his grace, his grace to help us live this life. I like that. I like that a lot because I can't do it by myself. There's no way that I can do this life, this walk with Jesus by myself. The Bible says that all grace has been given to us and it's, divine, it's defined in the Strong's as the divine influence upon the heart, it's a reflection in the life, including gratitude. And we know that this grace that God gives us starts a long time before we get saved. Before we give our heart to Jesus, God begins to work on us. Before we even think about God, God is working on us. 
He brings us to situations where we start to ask questions. He brings us to people who begin to put ideas in their heads. We pick up something and we start to read it. For Leanne, she would drive past the school and a, and a sign on the billboard of the school would start speaking into her heart, heart and into her heart to call her back to God again. Little things like that would be around all the time. That's true, isn't it? Little church at the corner, yeah, the billboard on the side, and God would use it, and he would speak into her mind and, and start to... This is called provenient grace, the grace that's there beforehand, that's starting to work on our lives, that starts to move us towards himself. And then we need the grace to live it. And the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, it says, For the grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do the things that are good. So he, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, okay, I'll bring you to salvation. And then when he comes and lives within our lives, he says, I'll help you live this salvation out. Well, that's a great deal, isn't it? Don't you think that's fantastic? I, I, I think that's pretty good. If I can learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, if I can learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, if I can learn to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Everything will be fine. And we're taught that this sincere life that we live is the life that walks with God, thinks with God, works out in our lives so that we can be the best we can be and, and, and stops a hypocritical lifestyle. Remember, once you start doing this and you maybe make a failure or something doesn't go right for your life, you've got a choice. You can either fess up and say, oh, look, I just made a blue. Jesus, I made a blue, or you can put a mask on and come to church with a mask on and start walking around like you got it together, but you really don't have inside. So the Holy Spirit wants you to be honest. He wants you to walk in sincere life. And that righteous power that we have from God, that, that Holy Spirit wants us to live a sincere life. And we, we heard a beautiful sermon by Liz about living that sincere life and not living a hypocritical life. In this, uh, we talked about living carefully because we don't belong to ourselves when we gave our heart to jesus jesus says i'm taking full possession he says you you everything you are belongs to me he, he says i'm purchasing with the price I've, I've paid the price with my blood you belong to me now everything that you are belongs to me you know we say oh 10 belongs to you no 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 he says it all belongs to me but your own life belongs to him everything that you have belongs to him it all is God's and we don't get that in our society a lot we don't hear that a lot we we have to recognize that that's what it is and then we are going to be called before God and, and to made accountable for our lives before him so one day we'll all stand before God and give account for our lives we, we looked last week and said every idle word that we speak we'll have to give an account for Everything that we do, we'll have to, all the money that we have go through our hands, we'll have to give an account. Everything is going to have, we're going to have to give an account for. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be kicked out because we've all done it poorly or we've been poor stewards. It means that we'll get less of a reward than if we were working well for God. So he's going to make sure we get there, but we might not get gold, silver, and precious stones as a reward. And remember I said to you last week, I mean, even if you got gold, 
stone, gold, precious stones and silver as a reward, you probably just recognize that you wouldn't have got any of that anyway had it not been the Holy Spirit who helped you and gave you the gifts to do that. So it all goes back to God in the end anyway, in that sense. So that brings us, I think, today. Righteousness is a gift, and as a result, it should provoke within us a spirit of thankfulness. So I want you to think about that. If this gift is real, if it's part of our lives, then within us should be provoking an attitude of thankfulness towards God. Now, mentally I can think that through, and mentally I can say, yeah, I think I'm thankful that Jesus saved me. But emotionally, it's something different. Sometimes my head says, be thankful, but my heart is not really rejoicing in thanks. Anybody with me here? Yeah, you know, it's oftentimes I know what I ought to, should, and must do in terms of my, my emotions, but my emotions aren't. So I verbalize that I give an offering of thanks and I thank you, Jesus, but inside I'm not really in touch with the depth of where I was and where he's brought me to. Oftentimes we are not in the place of thankfulness because we probably haven't understood nor appreciated the depth of God's grace toward us. So usually uh, when Jesus, um, he he was having a meal and um, this uh, woman comes and she falls at his feet and she's sobbing her eyes out. Uh, Simon is the uh, Pharisee whose house that Jesus is residing at. And uh, this woman now crying at the feet of Jesus and her tears are dropping all over his dusty feet and she's taking her hair and she is wiping the tears of his feet and then she keeps on crying. Now she's a prostitute and everybody knows if you, if you want to be seen to be messing around with the wrong people, it's the people you hang with, you know? And this woman is hanging with Jesus. So the Pharisees sitting there saying, Maid, do you know who's touching and kissing your feet? She's the girl that walks down the corner. She's the girl that works with boys down the corner. She's kissing your feet. She's wiping your feet. With, it's not a good look, Jesus. Could you just move your feet and just not leave them there? Just move your feet. Well, just give her a little kick and make sure she gets the idea to move away. Because it's not a good look. It doesn't look very cool, Jesus, with the prostitute from the corner kissing your feet. It just doesn't look real good. Now, Jesus actually, he confronts Simon when you know, he's thinking this because he knows Simon's thoughts. He says, Simon, tell me, who, who would love me most? Someone, and he tells him a story about someone who's been forgiven many, many sins and somebody who's been given a, forgiven a few sins. And Simon, he, he thinks about it. He's an intelligent boy. He says, probably the person who you've forgiven the most sins would love you most. And then he says, see this woman? You didn't love me at all when I came and you never washed my feet, which was customary. When some, you had a guest over, the first thing you did when they sat down at the table, you'd get the servant to go over and they wash their feet. That was a custom. It was, a, it was being polite, you know? Let me, let, me, let me wash your feet. That's a polite thing. It's, it's showing respect for your guest. That's what you do. But Simon didn't respect Jesus. He didn't love Jesus that much. He didn't bother to wash his feet. But that woman, when she came in, she didn't stop washing his feet. She just washed his feet and kissed his feet and wiped his feet with her because she loved him heaps. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, yes, the one who has sinned most loves most. 
So I'm telling you that because we often are not thankful. And this woman was very thankful that Jesus had forgiven her of her sins and saved her. I don't know, she might have been the woman that was, was going to be stoned for committing adultery in, in John chapter 8. I don't know who she was, but it was Mary. I think it was Mary, but you know, I don't know what she had done, but it was, she knew that she'd been saved. She knew that she'd been redeemed. She knew that she was saved by God's grace. And she was so grateful for that. It was so much inside of her. She just was crying because she loved Jesus so much and she just couldn't stop but show her affection and love for Jesus by, by pouring herself out on his feet. Now, if we have a love problem, it's probably because we haven't seen the problem of our sin. You didn't sin a lot, hey? Just sinned a little bit. Or the sins were not really that bad. They were sort of, I suppose they were sort of bad, but they're not as bad as some. If we don't understand what our sin is for our lives, we don't get the grace and we don't get the, the, the incredible gift that God has given to us. So come around Easter time. One of the things you ought to do around Easter time, and I don't practice Easter as per se as the day is any special, but it's a good time to think about Jesus' death and Easter because that's what everybody is celebrating. Sit down and tabulate all the sins that you can remember that you committed, every one of them. Sit down with a piece of paper and start saying, well, I can remember when I was a boy, and when I was a boy I did this thing. Well, then I can remember this time, and I can remember, you know, when you get to about the fifth or sixth full-scap page, and you're probably going to get to a whole lot more, you might want to stop. And you might want to recognize that all of those things would have been leveled against you had not Jesus died for you in your place. Getting and slowing that process down, just going through your mind and, and having a look at, at the things that you used to did, do, not only what you did, but what you thought, Add them down on a column beside, the things that you thought about doing, but you didn't do, but you, you entertained them in your mind, you know? Well, what, that list would be quite long, hey? Then sit and think about it and say, that was the list of the things that would stand against me. That was the list of the things that Jesus would have died for. He would have been punished for that list of things that I had done. And it was him taking the punishment for those things that saved me. He gave me access to heaven because he died in my stead. And make it personal. Then spend some time and think about it and say thank you because even though I might not feel gratitude, I will one day be completely thankful when I see you face to face. And I want to tell you something. When you get to glory and when that gate opens wide and you walk inside and you'll see Jesus, your heart will leap with joy. And the thankfulness you find it hard to conjure when you're here on earth will be pouring out of you in an immense place. Take some time to think about it. Put the, the toys down and take a walk in the park. Put the telephone away and turn it off for, for at least an hour and take a stroll by a river or by a stream somewhere and think about the stuff that could have sent you to hell and thank Jesus for saving your life. Thank him for going the extra distance to find you, to speak into your mind. Thank him for moving some person to put a, on a signboard a scripture that would provoke your heart to turn back to God. 
Thank him for all the little things that he did to bring you to himself. Thank him that now you're heaven bound, but you were hell bound. Psalm 107 is a beautiful psalm, and I, and I want to read it with you today. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read a, a good portion of it. So this is what it says in Psalm 107, verses 1 to 43. It says, Thanksgiving of God's deliverance. So he's talking about giving thanks for God, to God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the hand of, the flo- of their foes, of their enemies. So he's saying, you, look, stop, think about it. And you ask yourself the question, what did my enemy have planned for me? Well, he might have had planned a whole lot of things for me, and I'm just going to, well, that would, have been the, that would have been disastrous had I, and that would have, and Jesus saved me and redeemed me from my foe. And I'm going to say, you're the redeemer of my life. You redeemed me from the pit. I was caught. I remember as a young man in a nightclub drinking alcohol. And the Holy Spirit said to me when I got to the bottom of my beer, he says, what are you doing here, Mark? And had he not spoken to me, where would I be? Take that and think about that and say, oh, Jesus, you redeemed me. You, you, you spoke into my life. You you put something inside of me to turn me around. He says, uh, and has gathered them from the lands, from the east, is from the west, those who are redeemed, and from the north and from the south. And some wanted, and now he talks about the situations that we're getting. You see, the, what David is doing here now, he's actually bringing to mind the sort of circumstances that God brings us out of. He's doing exactly what I've told you to do. Stir up in your mind, think about what it was like, Think about what you did and how God saved you and bring it to mind. He said, some wandered in the desolate places, finding no way to a city where they could live. Some of them are abandoned, the refugees, they're out there and it's horrible. Some of you might know what that that feels like. Some of you may see that in the news now. You might see people in Assyria and people around the place, abandoned in desolate places, looking, looking, looking for someone they can't find somewhere, a city where they can live. They just... This is real in some people's lives today. They are hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he rescued them in their distress. Wow. Cried out to God in their trouble. and he re- Do you think God's behind what's happening in Assyria? In Syria? Do you think that God is behind what's happening in Africa and these places where, where the refugees are being moved around? The Bible says that God ordains the boundaries of the habitation of people. God allows, it's horrible to think of it, but God allows it. He says that they may find him and grope for him. And, and, and we're going to see this more and more. We're going to see people being moved and, and everything up turmoil. But in the process of the turmoil, you get an opportunity to speak God's word into the lives of these people. You're going to find people here coming here and they've, they've been living in this place. They've been in there and, and they will have cried out to the Lord cried out to God, help, save me, and, and you appear. You appear with the grace of God on your lips to speak into their lives. And had it not actually been the way, that way they had, they would have never come and never found the Lord. God determines those things in His sovereign will. He doesn't cause it to happen, but in His sovereign will, He allows it. Why? Because the end is that they would come to know Him. He led them 
by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. And then he goes and says, Others sat in darkness and gloom. This is depression. This is, a, this is in prison. Prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's command and despised the counsel of the Most High. These people, they knew God's command and rebelled against God and found themselves bound up with stuff. You might not have been bound up with stuff, but you might know people who are here who were bound up with stuff because they despised God's commands. He broke their spirits with hard labor and they stumbled and there was no one to help. And look what the verse says. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Isn't that fun? Fantastic. They call out to God and he saves them. He brought them out of the darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Maybe you're one of those people. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all humanity. For he has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Our God delivers people. Some of you, put your hand up if you've been delivered from those chains. Think about that. Yeah, you can, you're mindful of what they were. You know how they wrapped themselves around you. Bring it to mind. Let that be in your mind as you see those chains and say, Lord Jesus, you broke those chains over my life. I am not where I was. I may not be where you want me to be, but where I am now is a whole lot freer than where I was. <coughs> Look what he says next. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their sins. They loathed all food and came near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from the distress. He sent his word and healed them and rescued them from the pit. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. So being righteous is a gift that God gives you. Being free from the sins and the chains of the past is a gift that God gives you. He redeems you and it response, in response to all of that, there should come out of us an anthem of praise. Well, that would make singing an incredible opportunity. So that when they strum the guitar, it was something inside of you. I just want to. I just want to. I just want to praise God. You know, a lot of us just when we want to praise God, we say, "I praise God, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus." Um, what else do I say? Hallelujah, Hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. What else do you say? Are there any other? Well, glory. What else do you say? What else do you say when it comes time to praise God? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. Why don't we, yeah, why don't you just say, thank you, I was a drug addict and you saved me. Thank you, I was a sex addict, but you saved me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, I was locked in chains that nobody understood, but you delivered me from that. Thank you, Jesus, and start to tell him what you know to be true. We don't, but listen, the truth is you were going down and Jesus saved you. The truth is that God redeemed you from the pit. The truth is that that inside of you should burst forth in praise to God with an anthem of praise. 
He says, others went to sea in ships conducting trade on the vast waters. This is sort of like businessmen, I suppose. They saw the Lord's works and, and, and wonderful works in the deep. He spoke and raised the tempest that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up, raising up to the skies, sinking down to the depths. So they're on a huge storm in their boats. And I'm thinking about the disciples now when they were with Jesus and they got scared stiff when they went out there. Jesus is asleep in the boat and the tempest is coming up and the waves are going down and, and they're freaking out. They reeled like, and staggered like drunken men and, and their skill was useless. So it's like that, the, the disciples were fishermen and they were in a, a mess. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. What a beautiful thing. You know, they come in, don't you care that we may perish? Here you are sleeping in the boat, Jesus. Don't you care that the water is coming? Why don't you get up and help bail it out, Jesus? You know, he stilled the storm to a murmur and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. And then they guided them to a harbour they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all humanity. That was the moment that they started to wonder about Jesus. Who is this man who commands the sea to be still and the waves to be still and the wind to stop? Who is this man? So they began to see Jesus for who he is. Friends, this is where we live. We live in a place where we experience all the goodness of God continuously on a daily basis. You know, it goes on to say that, you know, he saved them and brought them to a fruitful land and he, he brought them into a place with springs of water and he, he fed them and he, they were able to sow fields and and plant vineyards, and he blessed them and multiplied them greatly, and, and they were not diminished, and he pours contempt on all those who are, who are not following him, and he lifts the needy out of the, the suffering. It's a lovely psalm. You go through it and read it slowly. Think about it, and let that anthem that comes through this thing come through. Thankfulness for the gifts in contrast to everything else. Now, I want to talk about expectations and entitlements. One of the children tend not to be thankful. Have you noticed that? I noticed that. I have some children. Not that they are, they, they're okay now because they have children of their own and they get it, I think. But before they have children of their own, they tend not to get it, what life is all about, you know? And life is usually about mum and dad doing the hard yards so that everything's there for the kids. And the kids have a sense of expectation and entitlement. So it goes something like this oh, Where's the meal? I come home from school. There's nothing in the fridge, mum. Oh, where's the drinks? I thought, didn't you, didn't you get some V for me or some Coke for me or whatever it is, juice? Uh, you know, it's for breakfast. Well, the nutri- There's no Nutri-Grain left. What's, who ate the last bit of Nutri-Grain? The expectation. The, the, the thing is, you think, I can't find my shirt, mum. You know the one, the white one? Where is it? <coughs> it's ironed and in your drawer with the rest of your clothes. Oh, well, the, the expectation is you're entitled to have your mum or your dad do your ironing for you and pack it away in your drawer. Uh, and, and, and listen, 
There is no level of thankfulness that's just contempt if it's not there. You notice that? Uh, how many parents are reading me? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. You know, the, the thing is, all of the stuff that you're doing for your kids, they're not, they're not aware of it. You know, they're, not, they're not in touch with it. They don't understand that you did the long hard yards to get a little bit more money so you can afford to buy for them their shoes with a tick on it, you know, rather than the other ones that everybody, you know, don't wear at school, but they just wear the ones with the tick on them or whatever it is, you know. They don't understand what it costs for you to give them something that they're going to enjoy for Christmas, like a holiday away. They don't understand exactly what that's going to cost. They just have no, why they just expect it. What can't we do? What can't we go? What can't we have? You know, everybody else has. It's just not fair. And then we hear this, it's not fair. It's not fair. And we have soggy kids. Hey, come with me, child, and come to, come to Africa. Come and live in a hut in a refugee camp in Africa for a week. Then you may see what you have. And be thankful for it. But you know, wait a minute. You see, this thing about thankfulness is that God bestows and pours upon our lives continuously like a faithful mum and dad, continuously for all of our needs. He provides everything for us. We have everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. (coughs) Everything is poured out for us on a daily basis. His spirit is there. He guides, he provides. He does everything for you. And yet... We complain when we can't find our shirt that's ironed and put away for us. This is attitude of ingratitude that's ingrained within us because we have not got within ourselves a desire to be thanking God for who he is and what he's done for us on a daily basis. Our praise is limited to something that comes around on Sunday and we sort of sing a song because, yeah, it's time to praise God and we, oh, we can drag something out of our head if we have to, but there's no witness within our spirits of something that God is doing in our lives on a daily basis. We just don't get it. We are like our own kids. Maybe when we grow up, and we stand before God, we will see exactly what it took to give us what we've got and be grateful. But at the moment now, we are not. We're immature. Mature. We just expect that we're entitled to those things. Now, I... (laughs) I see this in my own life and it grieves me because sometimes I don't see the incredible goodness of God. I just see what I don't have. You, you with me? You're feeling that? You don't necessarily see what you got. You see what you want and what you don't have. And so the attitude of gratitude, which should be there bursting through our lives because we should be rejoicing that we've got shoes to put on our feet and we've got feet that we can walk around in shoes and we're not blowing ourselves up on landmines around the... That, you, it's just like, it's just not there. We're not even thinking about that. And God wants us to be mindful of that. He wants us to 
to think clearly about that and to stop and say, hang on, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not go through the rest of our lives and not do the thing that God wants us to do. This is the story that Cheryl mentioned. It's found in Luke chapter 17. And Jesus goes and he sees 10 people there, 10 men. 10 men with grievous bodily sickness, leprosy. So there's going to be fingers hanging off, lumps and chunks out of their skin. They're going to be sick. I want you to get a gist of where they are. Well, they're hanging around together because they're not allowed to mix with anybody else. And when they walk around, they say, beware, beware. Away, away, we're lepers, stay away, stay away. (coughs) And so they're isolated. (coughs) Sorry. Somebody will put a lump of food down on the ground in a bowl and they'll walk backwards. Somebody, their loved one, maybe put some food down and they'll come and they'll get the food. But they won't touch them. They won't go near them. They're outside the camp. They're filthy. They're dirty. They're isolated. So these men are suffering. They're in a terrible place. I, I, probably the more of their, their body drops off as the sickness goes further on in their bodies, the leprosy is there, they're losing limbs, and the, the people, that they, their loved ones, probably don't hang around and see them anymore. It's just too much. They just leave them there. So it's not a good look. Think about the loneliness. Think about the isolation. Think about the hunger. Think about the pain and the desperate feeling of anxiety and stress that you have because you're stuck. Then Jesus comes by and looks at you one day. And he sees ten. Nine Jews and one Gentile. And he says, be healed. And you go away to show yourself to the priest that you're clean. Because you read Leviticus, there's an offering that has to go up. They have to show themselves. And the, once the priest says you're clean, you can go back into the city again. They're looking around. They're healed. Oh, they're pretty excited about that. And they head off to the priest because they're going to offer up a lamb. As a, they're going to do all the things so they can go back to their community, so they can go back to where they live, so they can go back to their kids, so they can go back to their work, so they can go back to all of the things they had lost. Only one turned around. Nine went their way to get back to their lives again. Just one. And it wasn't a child. It wasn't a child like a Jewish children of God child. It was the Gentile dog who turned around and went back to the Lord. And it says he shouted with a loud voice. Thank you! And he says, I thought I healed ten. Why is it now that this one foreigner turns around? I don't know about you. I don't want to be one of those ones that just going to get it straight and get back together in my life and not give thanks to Jesus. 
I don't want to get on with my life and get on with my future, get on with my stuff because Jesus lifted me out of the pit without saying thank you to the Lord. I don't want that to, that's not me. I don't want, I want to have a praise voice that says, I want to thank God for what he's done. You know, we don't have anything to say to somebody else because we haven't learned to say things to Jesus. What does it work like? Hey, you're different now, haven't you? How come you're different? Oh, you know, I just got my life together. Oh, you done well. Big pat on the back. Keep it up, buddy. I didn't hear him say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, redeem me. And without Jesus, I wouldn't be where I am today. He was silent because he got the pat, not Jesus. And you know why he got the pat, not Jesus? Because he fails to tell Jesus every day that he thanks him for all the good things he did. You see, you fail to thank Jesus when somebody else comes and asks you what you'll take it for yourself. You'll take it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's the way you think, you know. It's what you read. It's the people you hang with. You fail to give him thanks so that when somebody else comes and talks to you about the changes that have taken place in your life, you'll fail to give praise to him then because you failed to do it in the private place. Can you see what I'm saying to you? You give the glory to somebody else and it's Jesus who did it. He's the one who redeemed you from the pit. He's the one who lifted you and put you on solid ground. He's the one who changed your life. So with this entitlement, there's usually an arrogant expectation of what should be there. You know, we get this sort of, you know, why isn't he? But with thankfulness, it's usually associated with the fact that you really are humbled because you were really in need. And so poverty of spirit usually connects with thankfulness. Poverty of spirit is this, like, without him, I could do nothing. Therefore, I thank him because he, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So poverty of spirit connects with thankfulness. If we don't have thankfulness, look at your poverty of spirit. You usually find that you're quite arrogant about what you can do yourself. And you're quite proud of your own achievements. And you're quite proud with the way you can control your life. Stop a while. Ask the question, can you really... Can you really? And let Jesus show you how poverty of spirit will result in an attitude of gratitude for God because without him, we can do nothing. In John chapter 15, it says, without me, you can do nothing. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor, you can't do anything without Jesus. You can't do anything without Jesus, Renee. You can't do anything without Jesus. You can't even brush your teeth without Jesus. Just imagine that. You can't do anything without Jesus. Think about that. If he took his spirit from you, the ability for you to gauge whether it's right or wrong, your conscience, if he just stopped speaking to your conscience, where would you be? Where would you be? You would slip down a slippery track as fast as you'd look at it. Thing, you'll be doing right things, the very things that you know you shouldn't be doing, you'll be doing if he didn't have his conscience. 
cleansed from dead works to serve a living God if he wasn't stirring your conscience up and saying there's a right and there's a wrong. Stay with the right. Where would you be if it wasn't his Holy Spirit who brought the word of God to you? Say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He's in you. He's in you. He's in this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Where would you be if it wasn't the Holy Spirit who fed into your life and prompted you to take up the word of God and read it? And just as you took up the word of God, you read it and it spoke into you and gave you strength for the day. Where would you be if Jesus didn't heal your body? I look at my hand and I thought I'd slipped down a tree and took all the bark off there and I've been watching it as I've been growing. I think, that's healing. Look at that. Where would you be if he didn't put the healing power of his spirit inside of your body and your immune system? Where would you be? You'd be rotting where you are. Everything in life is made for you. You look outside, the trees are there, plants are there, food is there. Everything is given for your pleasure. Thank you, Jesus. Where would you be? Oh, Lord, help us to be thankful. Help us to... Think about what you're doing for us on a daily basis and help it just gush out of us so that people listen. What are you doing? I'm praising God. You have no idea what God is doing for me. You know, I want this church to be an anthem of praise to the goodness of God. God has done so much for us in so many ways. He brought us together. Our lovely brothers and sisters in this place. People I love dearly. Come here. Live here. People who love me dearly live here with me. This is a home and this is a family. Thank God for a family. Where would we be if we didn't have a family? If we didn't have a home? If we didn't have people like you and me just sitting together and encouraging one another? Where would we be? Thank you, Jesus. It may not be flash. It doesn't have to be flash. It may not be big. It doesn't have to be big. But I love Joyce, and Joyce loves me. And we get along just fine, and I just thank God for Joyce. And Joyce thanks God for me. I hope she does. Where would we be if we didn't have the fellowship that God brings us together in? We've got so much to thank God for. Amen?